Claire Scheidt. Yeah. Welcome to my office. Thank you very much. You are here in Karlsruhe because we have the International Conference on Wave Phenomena. And um, of course, there are many talks um, on the one side, on the analytical side of wave phenomena, prescribing equations and boundary conditions and finding good solutions for that. And on the other hand, there are the lectures on numerical schemes and finding nice visual representations like pictures and movies, which explain certain simulations. And in your talk, you were presenting numerical results on uh, nanophotonics. Um, so maybe a good question would be, what is the special problem in nanophotonics? What is the background for that? Why is it this mathematical interesting to work in that field? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> so in fact, um, mainly so nanophotonics is a quite active field now. There is a lot of physicists working in because there is a lot of application coming out from this uh, from this field mainly so maybe i can explain a bit the principle of nanophotonics so you the main example is to see that uh, you have a devices uh, something like a, a media that is here and then you illuminate by light and you try to see how it reacts to the light and try to exploit this reaction to to really take the advantage of the the reaction of uh, of the device to the light. And all the nanophotonics is uh, turning around that, trying to exploit all, all these effects. And uh, you can, there is a lot of effects. I can cite some. Uh, there is one application which is uh, to create uh, nano lasers. So you really manage to focus light really at some uh, precise point. So you create very small lasers to create nano lasers. Uh, what else? You can also. Uh, Managed by uh, designing the device uh, as you want, you can manage to to amplify fields very so you have very really intense light at some uh, some precise point, or you can also absorb light. So there is a you create very good emitters or absorbers, and all this is because of the light that you 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 send to the to the device. And the fact that uh, this device is really uh, nanostructured. So it's the fact that it's nano, so very, very small. You go to the nanometer scales. So you have really to reach these very small uh, scales to be able to have these uh, this effects. And this is on the scale of molecules. Uh, yeah, nanometers. So if you think about what we have... Uh, We live in a in a big world, <laughs> so then if you go for centimeters, then you go even smaller, and you go to nanometers, something that you can maybe not really see, and you can go even uh, smaller than you go for molecules and so on. Yeah, no, I was doing uh, my diploma thesis on um, electron um, implementations. And then my scale was always angstrom. Yes, <laughs> there you go. Which is, just, yeah, which is just one um, degree of 10 less yeah. than nanometers. Yeah. So that's why I have this, this vivid feeling that this must be on the size of molecules. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, maybe it's just, it depends. Now there are, I mean, some experience are the, of, of the order of maybe 50 nanometers and then but now they really uh, physicists are really able to design stuff uh, devices that really are at the order of uh, maybe 10 angstrom mm -hmm. maybe, I think, uh, maybe more yeah also sometimes we are using this kind of an explanatory thing so that's the usual thing is just usual mm -hmm. then if something is small it's micro 
-hmm. And yeah. if, if it's a smaller than small, it's just nano nowadays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now it's a nano, <laughs> nano world. Yeah, we are living in a nano world. Yeah. And of course, the hope is then that you can um, have devices which are very small mm -hmm. um, doing things which nowadays you need kind of, yeah, not huge, but big devices. Yeah, so the, this very small devices can be included in much more bigger devices mm. to be able to have this uh, this effect. I mean, there is also the for the nano lasers. You you will have your. Uh, I mean, you have to focus light, so it's really something you can represent yourself. And there is also a kind of application that you can have in a, in diode. So if you want to turn on light or just have a light, you really need this nano structuring to. I mean. You do not need it, but you could use, use it, it yes. to improve the the efficiency of some some diodes. Yeah, and in the end, you have just um, tiny devices which you can put together. Like um, in let's say twenty years ago, we put together the computers. Yeah, in, why in not? I think <laughs> I not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a mathematician, so I try to understand physics as I can. <laughs> so I, I can just explain what I could understand from uh, from the physics but yeah. uh, physics point of view but uh, yeah, it's really i mean there is really a lot of people working on this and, mm. uh, and of course um the light is just the light and whatever scale i i will try to understand it what is the special thing that you have the small geometrical scale what makes the difference compared to um, consider maybe waves in water or air waves or so if you you go for uh, waves, uh, at least for light, uh, it's uh, a matter of frequencies also that you you, you take a look at. To be if you want to uh, to have light, you have what we call optical frequencies. So it's a range of frequencies of the light. So how it oscillates mm. that gives you the light, and then it's also uh, where in the media where it evolves. So for light, for what I cited here, it's light that is evoluting in air, for example, or uh, interacting with some uh, special media. For, um, and behind that, there is also all the theory of uh, light. Uh, like uh, there is an electromagnetic wave. I mean, maybe it's... A, yeah, uh, is it okay well, it's <laughs> one of the big questions still, I would say, yes, but the nature of light. Yeah, 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 yeah. for me, yes. I mean, you have to... For light, uh, when you go for nanophotonics, you are thinking about photons. So you, you see the reaction of photons, which are emitting light. Mm -hmm. so that's how you use. I mean, how you see the reaction of uh, photons. So, but I don't know if. Maybe no. not, uh, and in the end, um, you have to find a model for that in yeah. mathematical terms, which means you will have to write down an, an equation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the main idea behind is that uh, okay, there is a lot of physics applications that are very nice, very mm. uh, useful, and then at some point the uh, physicists have to design all these uh, devices. They have to find uh, how to design it, and it sometimes can be quite costly. So yeah. they are really, I say, eager for knowing how to design it, of how to, what kind of devices, what kind of media. Should I put metal, uh, silver, gold, something like this to have my my effect? And so that's where I think uh, modeling is entering in the in the 
this, in the in the, the field. field. Mm. So to simulate um, experiments, which then need not be done in the usual yeah, or to be able to orientate uh, mm -hmm. experiment because they know uh, that. Uh, maybe they should do it like this, but then if you put some, I mean, you try to model the phenomenon, then you have equation, as you said, you, you begin to write equations to describe the phenomenon, and then you begin to be able to say something uh, concrete for us yeah, as mathematicians yeah, to say, okay, I predict that it should be like this, and then maybe that's what we hope could help the, the physicist. Mm -hmm. And uh, your way of dealing with these equations is to try to solve them numerically. Yes. Or to solve them numerically. Now I was doing this, the thing that uh, we are always kind of um, exaggerating or not knowing. <laughs> <laughs> so because I've seen pictures, you have solved something, not just tried to solve something. But of yeah. course, you try to solve it even better each day. Yeah, we try to improve. <laughs> yes, of course. So what are the main problems in doing that so what is the characteristics um, of the maybe it, it depends on the equation or on the geometry I don't know yeah, yeah. if you so if you go for um, precise fields of maybe nanophotonics there is so you have to deal with the scales because it's mm -hmm. nanometers and you can imagine that you want to simulate something that is a nanometer scale but in a big big domain like macro domain so mm -hmm. a lot of nanometer let's say spheres, so very small, and then you put it in a big domain and you have to try to describe what is happening. So you can write the equations. So this is, for us, it's like you take a paper and you write the equation, but then you have to say, okay, can I say something? Can I compute the solution of this equation? And then if I want to compute, I have to find a discretization and find an approximation of this equation and go with my computer and try to compute. And this can be really... Uh, <clears throat> I mean, you have to really find a, a way to describe the geometry. So spheres, it's not so easy to describe. Then you have to describe this big domain. So it's also begin to be a lot of things to describe. And then you have to all describe also the physics behind. So you have, for every media, you have parameters that you have to describe. So they can be quite involving, quite different for one sphere to another or something like this. And then if you want to compute it, you have to have a very good computers to be able to be fast and precise enough to be able to interpret your result from uh, from your computation. Yeah. This is the main, I mean, there is this is the bottleneck because you have to, to be precise, but you have to be, I mean, your computation do not, shouldn't take maybe one week because physicists just go away and <laughs> find something else to do. Yes, you have always uh, still to be better than doing the experiment in everyday life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. we have to rely on experiment also. That's also clear. We, the main idea is to be, be able to discuss with physicists about yeah. real life for him. <laughs> yeah, of course, the physicists in the end, they will provide a lot of data and then you will have to make sense of the data mm, Yes. Uh, to get... Um, numbers for certain coefficients in your equations and so on. Uh, I remember from your lecture that uh, one important part of your modeling process was to get a grip on the delay properties, mm -hmm. so changing um, your electric field, um, the reaction um, settles in only slightly afterwards. Mm -hmm. So how can you do that in your model? 
have this. So maybe I can maybe explain a bit this uh, delay. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So in fact, when you do the basic experiment, uh, we can consider in, let's say, we go for nanophotonics. You have a very small uh, media, small sphere of metal, and then you illuminate by light. And then you try to describe the, rela the, the reaction of this sphere of metal to light. And the main point is that you have to describe the, the reaction of the electrons close to, I mean, in the metal. And so when you illuminate by light, in fact, you, you send a, an electric field to, uh, to the sphere. And then the electrons see the, the field and try to react as they can. And the fact is that they do not react in instantaneously <laughs> to the electric field, but they have a small delay in response. So that's what you, you call mm -hmm, delay. Yeah. That was uh, what I explained in the lecture. And so this delay is uh, expressed as, so it's maybe difficult to explain uh, without a, <laughs> uh, a graph, but um, so you can imagine that there is a delay in, uh, in answer to, to, to the electric field. And it's really uh, expressed at, as uh, if you illuminate your sphere at one given frequency, uh, you imagine that the the electron response at one frequency. If you imagine that uh, you eliminate at different frequencies, the electron in the metal would react differently to each frequency. So they will have, I mean, when we say that the wave is propagating, uh, there will be different speed associating to different uh, frequencies. So at each frequency, there will be a speed of propagation that is different for each frequency. Mm. And that is how you can see also the delay of response of the of the d electron. And another way to see it is like uh, via a polarization of the electron. So the d electron are polarized according to to the light you send. And if I go for the the equation, in fact, I'm not sure I can. Uh, the if you want to model this uh, electromagnetic wave. You have to go for an equation called Maxwell's equation. Mm -hmm. And so in Maxwell's equation, you compute the electric field and the magnetic field. And in fact, you, if you want to take into account this delay, you will compute a third field, which is called polarization. And then you will end up with a set of an equation, which, is, which constitutes of Maxwell's equation coupled to Uh, an ordinary differential equation that is describing the evolution of the polarization. So that's how you uh, you describe the delay of response of the electron. So you put some equation on the, hmm. the reaction. At least that is one modeling. Yeah, that's one possibility. One to possibility to, mm. to do that. And of course, Maxwell's equations are kind of very well established. Yeah. So yeah. you know what you're doing there. And, you know, just adding one extra thing with like an ordinary differential equation. Yeah, it's not a big, big, big deal, <laughs> you say. Yeah, it can be annoying enough still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. It's yeah. different. Eh? Um, if you really write um, the right equation for this delay, um, you will have to uh, come up with a model for this, this delay. So you were describing this, um, what, what you observe. Mm -hmm. um, but if you make that an equation... What type of equation is able to prescribe um, that you have different uh, wave phenomena dif depending on the frequency? 
Uh, I think I don't <laughs> the question. Sorry. So, um, so if you would have a, a, a homogeneous answer, this is probably just the linear equation between the polarization and the electric field. Okay, so I you see. just have a, a constant coefficient which is valid everywhere and every time and um, under every thing which is happening. But what you were just describing with this delay, of course, this coefficient kind of changes. Yeah, yeah. So this is a very rough description. This is the, yeah. Uh, if, I, the, if you go for Maxwell's equation, there is uh, some constitutive relation that are relating the electric field and the electric displacement. Mm -hmm. And usually it's like a proportional relation between the electric displacement and the electric field. And this proportional uh, parameter is just a constant, what we call permittivity mm -hmm. of the media. And so to each type of media, you have uh, one permittivity. If you go for uh, this uh, polarization and this uh, delay in response, in fact, you see it by uh, considering that the permittivity is time-dependent. And then the constitutive relation between the electric field and the electric displacement because uh, is not a proportional relation but becomes a convolution that means that you you will integrate in time some product between the permittivity and the electric field and you see that uh, in fact through this relation you see that you take all the history of the electric field that means that uh, uh, the history of the electric field influence also the uh, direction of the electron. So that's where yeah, you yeah. see also the delay of this. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can also go for a frequency description of all this. That means that if you are if you are a physicist, uh, you when you talk to people, <laughs> you talk like uh, an experimentalist sometimes, and you say, okay, I send a wave at this frequency, and I measure. The response of my devices at this frequency. Mm -hmm. So you have frequency data. So you can have also a frequency view of this uh, this relation. And in fact, this relation uh, expresses in the frequency domain as uh, the just proportional relation between the electric field and the displacement field. And the proportional relation is not a constant. The proportional um, constant, no, the proportional. Um, Factor. Factor, thank you, is not a constant, but it's just depending on the frequency. And this is related to what I explained, like mm. uh, each uh, frequency, uh, I mean, each, if you send a wave at this frequency or another frequency, the response will be different. Mm. So you see really this uh, frequency-dependent physics parameter. Yeah. So from my... Um, completely naive point of view. This frequency description sounds more like a description where I can put on some numerical schemes because it's kind of already, um, you know, it's um, discrete kind of because you relate to different frequencies and um, have certain answers in the frequencies. But of course, for this um, convolution which you were prescribing there, it's also possible to make a discrete formulation of that to be able to calculate something on the computer with that. Yes, yes. But in fact, you do not you do not uh, go for the discretization of uh, this convolution, mm -hmm. this integral, because it's so costly. You have to take all the history of the field. You go rather for the description that I explained just before with uh, Maxwell's equation mm -hmm. with... In fact, this convolution can be expressed via 
this uh, PDE system, so partial differential equation system, coupled to this ordinary differential equation. And then and you use a method which were developed for ordinary differential equations. And for PDEs, because in fact yeah. you see all the system like a big PDE. There is one which is an ODE, but mm. it's a sub. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the most, uh, yeah, the more difficult part is the PDE part, but I was just, you know, <laughs> the PDE part is the thing which exists, in my opinion, <laughs> which of <laughs> yes. course need not be true, uh, but this is the thing which many people are using. Yes. And uh, the new part was the one which I was interested in. That's why I was asking for that. <laughs> okay. Um, and this is also the, the numerical simulations. Do they give results which look like the experiments which yes. are done? Yes. That's what is reassuring for us. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, if you, if you go for the step of uh, validation, because now you, you want to propose some modeling for the phenomena that you see in mm -hmm. nanophotonics so you propose an equation and then you try to compute the solution and then you want to be sure that what you compute is the i mean is okay and is really comparable to at least to some experiment because at some point you will maybe compute something where there is no experiment yeah. and then you have to give answer to the to the physicist so at least the first step when you want to validate your approach you will begin to compare to classical experiment or even why not exact solution if you have so mm. that's one important step and what we obtained yes is uh, quite is close and it's close to to experiment or to exact solution so uh, so that's a i mean a good point that uh, allows to go further to really realistic test cases or uh, things that are really close to real life mm. <laughs> say And then what would be next steps um, to consider, so new questions? In nanophotonics, yeah. you mean? There is a lot. <laughs> uh, so I would say that there is several um, parts of improvement that could be... Different directions. Different mm -hmm. directions. There is one direction which, is, which concerns the model, because you can always improve the model, because uh, when you have a physics situation, you want to put equations on it because mathematicians or even physicists, you want to put equations and then you have to choose how you describe a physics phenomenon. So then as soon as you choose something, you choose a model. But Which is always a simplification. Yeah, and it's always a simplification from the real uh, because real uh, phenomenon because you cannot describe everything. So, but um, And you have to always to begin from the easiest model that you could find then you begin to complicate a little bit and more and then more so I would say there is this uh, the question we could ask is could we improve the model because maybe the model that we are using that I presented in the, during the lecture is a model that is has its own range of validity so we are looking for something which is at the order of nanometers but if you come for even smaller scales then maybe the model is not so so maybe the model is not really describing the real physics so you have to go for maybe a description go to maybe molecular uh, I mean, uh, if you go to the angstroms and yeah. you, you go for another another description of the physics so that's one big uh, part of the of the improvement then you have a kind of 
methodology, methodological improvement also for your numerical method? You, because when you try to compute something, you go for one special numerical methods, and they have to be really precise, precise enough, etc. So you always want to improve your precision. You want to improve the computational time also because you don't want to wait one week to have your answer. So that's also, and you can always improve because and computers are always improving also. So you can just exploit also this improvement to, to improve your, mm. your computations. And then the last part is also to be able to really, uh, so you validate your model, you validate your computation, and then you want to interact with physicists. So this is maybe the most difficult part for a mathematician because you have to interact with physicists and to find really uh, a common language, let's say, to be able to interact, to be able to say, okay, we know how to uh, help you. See, we help you. But uh, sometimes it's uh, difficult to prove that we are really able to help physicists. Not just too. running after them. Yeah. Just, just always yeah, yeah. half a step behind. Exactly, because they are always one step further, but then we go for the methodological improvement and then we are just improving accuracy, for example. And then, But, I mean, it's difficult, but you manage to really, uh, if you find some physicists that are really able to interact, and if we are able to interact, then it's, uh, it's really good. Mm. Uh, now you're working uh, on the one hand in Sofia Antipolis, mm -hmm. which is a department of the INRIA, so the French Science um, yeah. so Research Institute. Yeah, yeah. Research Insti Institute. And um, as a professor at the university in Nice. I'm not a professor. <laughs> I'm less yeah, than everybody that. <laughs> who's teaching as a professor. I would yeah, say. okay, but uh, I have not the, the the title of professor. And you are not a chair. No, no, I just um, I'm a doctor, mm -hmm. and then I have a fixed position in uh, in Nice, and we call it maître de conférence in uh, in France. So it's like uh, maybe assistant professor, but it's a fixed position where you teach and where you do research. Yes. And uh, of course, then you have the responsibility for students and um, yes. supervising PhD thesis yes. and so on. So in a way, um, people who are not in the system, they cannot really distinguish your work from the work of a professor. Sometimes, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and before that, you were um, taking education um, in Lyon and Grenoble. Mm -hmm. So you've seen quite a lot of different places, uh, in all in France, but nevertheless different places so what kind of is the fascination uh, for you staying in that field and changing even places for that um, I think at least uh, I like to, to see different ways of uh, seeing research I think if you change places you change the environment and you change people you are talking to and so you evolve Yeah, different people and different people are influencing your research and mm -hmm. your discussions. And uh, at least for me, it was really nice to see different places to be a bit open on my uh, field of research. I even went uh, abroad sometimes, so it's also a different culture that you can see, uh, especially in research. To, no. to, uh, so where have you been? I've been in Norway. In Norway? Yes. From France. From France. 
<laughs> yes. That's the thing you do in France. Do what? <laughs> <laughs> to go to Norway. Really? No, no, no. <laughs> this is just kidding. No, because you, of course, for you, it's the usual thing because you did it just, yes. Uh, and uh, there will be probably have been good reasons to do that. But um, I think it's not uh, so usual to just go to Norway. So probably there Maybe. was... Yeah, for me, it's like, I, I like also, uh, I mean, uh, what is really nice with uh, our work, when you do research and when you do a PhD and you go for this kind of studies, is that you have the opportunity to go abroad, really the opportunity to do a postdoc mm -hmm. and then to try to see other culture. I mean, Norway is not like complete different culture from it's European still Europe, culture. Yes, yes. It's still, <laughs> okay, mm -hmm. but at least to go abroad and to see how it works somewhere else than uh, for me than in France because I, and it's really a, a chance I think to do to be able to do it yeah and um, bef before you uh, decided to to study so mathematics or to, to enter an engineering school uh, what was your idea what did you expect to learn there To learn in the in the school, mm. I think for me it was uh, I learned mathematics. Uh, I learned to like mathematics via a teacher at my high school. So he was really a nice person to teach mathematics and just motivated me to to go further. And I was always hesitating between physics and mathematics. Uh, it was always for me a bit. Uh, I liked both. And I didn't, I make a choice because I was maybe, uh, I had better marks in mathematics, so I went for a more mathematical career, but I always liked physics. And then there was, um, we have this system in France called Classe Préparatoire. Yeah, that's why I was kind of hesitating to say you decided to study mathematics because in a way you decided to enter the school <laughs> where you, of course, will have to learn mathematics but other things as well. And No, but yeah, I think... And you yeah. also have to go through the bottleneck so you spend two years preparing and yeah. it's not clear if you get really through. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's a big devotion. And in, in my... For me also, I was also... Um, uh, there was... Let's say two options. Either you go for research or you can also go for teaching. So both are really, uh, are really interesting for me. And that's why also if you go for uh, this kind of position where you are maître de conférence, you have uh, teaching and you have research. So <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And then maybe um, the, in parentheses, real professors will say you also have the advantage that you don't have to be responsible for employing people and finding the money and applying for the grants and so on. But <laughs> Because they try to establish that um, they have to hard work, or work harder. Yeah. <laughs> for, because they have the title and a bit more of salary and so on. <laughs> no. Yeah, of but course, we you know. have to help. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, it's just we so. have to go in the, into the system. So yeah, yeah, as well, of course. <laughs> okay, uh, so you entered the system and you stayed there. So there is really a fascination for you. What is the special thing which you find there? For me, it's the 
being able to to do mathematics but at the same time to relate to real world mm -hmm. uh, at least i hope <laughs> to be able to understand a bit uh, what is uh, physics behind uh, phenomenon and then to try to see okay can i help something with mathematics and then for me really what is kind of fascinating for me is trying to do this link between uh doing math understanding math behind and to see how it can uh, maybe influence physics and how i can learn physics because for me it's, i'm not a physicist so i try to understand as much as i can modestly <laughs> and then i try to uh, try to help and try to learn a lot because i learn mathematics and i learn physics so and this is maybe what um guides also my choices for research. Uh, I like to have these two point of view, kind of not only doing pure math, I'm more like applying math and trying to make this link. Mm. So uh, with this distribution between the Enria and Sofia Antipolis and uh, your teaching duties in Nice, how is this organized usually? So just to get a rough idea. So for me, so I have this uh, this position, this fixed position mm. is uh, is in Nice. Yes, yeah. I'm a maître de conférence in Nice, and usually I teach, I give my hours of teaching in Nice, and then I split a little bit and I go uh, maybe two days a week, at least two three days a half, let's mm. say half my time. I try to spend it in in Ria, where I do some uh, research. And I do some research also in Nice, but uh, I have also teaching to, to give. So it's like um, maybe not half-half. It depends on the, the period of the of the semester, maybe. Sometimes you have more teaching, so you do more teaching, and then sometimes you have a, a bit more time for doing research. Mm. And is there also the possibility for your students in Nice uh, to benefit from you taking part in the research in uh, Sofia Antipolis? Or do they have certain opportunities which they wouldn't have at different universities? Uh, you, uh, you mean, is there a relation between the mm. university and INRIA? Or? Yeah, of course, there is always a relation, yeah, but is, uh, yeah. is this a lively relation, let's say? Uh, for doctoral students? Here in Karlsruhe, we are just trying to do that uh, because we have this research center uh, 10 kilometers away mm -hmm. in the north, so so-called north campus now. And here the usual campus is now south campus. Mm -hmm. And the students, of course, in general, they all get their education here. But uh, there are famous researchers 10 kilometers away, which we uh, try to convince that they could do some teaching here because okay. then they will win some students working with them. Uh, for example, on master thesis, bachelor thesis even, and as, especially on PhD thesis. And uh, so things are so near, mm -hmm. and also the topics are so near, so it seems so obvious, and it's so difficult. Yeah, but I think you, <laughs> That's you, why I'm asking. You describe me. <laughs> In fact, the point is that uh, so, uh, Inria uh, has some common team with the university. Mm -hmm. I mean, official common team. You have uh, So the, the research center in Ria is working as a... There is a project team. So everybody is uh, attached to a project team if you are a researcher in, in RIA. And then some project team has uh, have, um, our, common, our common team with University of Nice. So they share researcher and they share students also. And it's 
maybe a bit like here because INRIA is not close to university to, to, to the lab where mm -hmm. I'm working. So it's sometimes difficult to make relation between the two. But some project team uh, from INRIA are located in Nice. So this is the connecting, connecting point. point with yeah. the students. And furthermore, in uh, Sofia Antipolis, there is a, a part of the university which is there. Just uh, um, there is uh, a school that is uh, a school where students can learn. And then there is, uh, they are very close. But then there is relation between uh, between the students and, uh, and INRIA. So there is facilities to, uh, to have PhD students that can benefit from uh, from. Uh, The research center, yeah. yes. Because I must say, I, I've been visiting Sofia Antipolis for several occasions. Mm -hmm. And um, starting from my first visit there, I was so fascinated by the scientific world in the middle of the woods. <laughs> it, it looks so fantastic. <laughs> and I think um, as a student, I, it, I would have really liked to work there. <laughs> Yeah, but there is but there is a lot of students mm -hmm. due to this uh, part of the university, which is yeah. just just there. So then there is a lot of active uh, students. Mm. So yeah, because in a way, uh, with the big universities, they are always connected to big cities, um, at least here in Germany and uh, very often in Europe as well. And sometimes you have these research facilities which are outside cities and difficult to reach, mm -hmm. but for different reasons. So, for example, here it's clear it started as a nuclear research center, so they wanted to have that away from people mm -hmm. who could be endangered by, by the experiments. And so there is a good reason that it was not so easily accessible. But uh, with Sofia Antipolis, I think they just um, had the idea Uh, to find a silent, peaceful place. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but there is a lot of, uh, of uh, connections nowadays. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. because everybody has to commute. There is a lot of employment possibility because there is a lot of uh, industry around. Yeah, I mean, uh, so uh, they are benefiting from the te technological advances I there. I guess, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's the thing we are trying to do. Or partly successful here in in Karlsruhe and all the technical university have certain outside the campus, some smaller um, um, things which are very specialized on certain things, and some of them uh, really do the jump to become something big after a period of time mm -hmm. with the good ideas. So <laughs> we didn't really speak about the most precious good, which is time. <laughs> to do all the interesting things so kind of in between the lines um, we, we spoke about this because you have to divide your time between Nice and Sofia Antipolis mm -hmm. but um, I would really uh, like to thank you for taking the time thank you during you. the, the <laughs> week here in Karlsruhe uh, to have this conversation with me which I found really interesting thank you I was happy to be to have the opportunity to discuss with you <laughs> thank you thank you very much <laughs>